This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 7, Episode 8, Words of Wisdom. And we just have one minor announcement for you for this episode. It's actually about this episode. Uh, We had a little bit of technical difficulties um, in the recording process that we didn't catch until we were editing this episode. The first three to five minutes of content uh, actually didn't get recorded. The The audio was corrupted or something. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, after we're done with uh, Words with the GM and after we're done with the character intros, right as the episode is starting, uh, Addie and I will kind of walk you through the couple of character moments that uh, somehow didn't make it on into the actual recording. Uh, and then we'll just pick up the episode uh, a couple minutes in and listen to it all the way through. Uh, so keep an ear out for that uh, as the episode begins. Um, but uh, before the episode begins let's move into words with the gm hello hello gm hello this words with the gm is about series seven episode seven moment of truth and what a moment it was a moment filled with hilarity and also a little tension as a goop brand cast his spell for the first time and utterly failed (laughs) yeah it actually highlights uh an aspect of 7c that i really like which is the way that your character level levels up uh you do it through stories Uh, and what a story is is you uh as a player you decide what new ability you want uh and depending on what you're choosing whether it's like raising up an attribute or picking up a new advantage or raising a skill that requires so many story steps so you choose your reward and then that tells you how many steps you need and a story step is uh, some kind of narrative milestone that you're aiming for uh in your character's personal story uh separate from the campaign story altogether and this whole moment spawned because uh Seth was trying to get another point in the sorcery advantage so that he could cast another type of Galder magic. And the first step was find the book with the rune in it, which we did early into the campaign. Uh, And then he was struggling to figure out what the second story step was going to be. And eventually we decided that it could maybe be to have him test the rune, like after having transcribed it. Um, And mechanically, there's not really a whole lot rules guidelining like how to like learn magic or test it out or anything like that so we were just in purely narrative territory uh and that gave uh you as the gm uh the opportunity to um turn it into something super fun that everyone i i I mean i wasn't even in the scene and i was loving it and everyone in the scene seemed to be like really really digging it. i mean nick nick leaned in really hard to the (laughs) idea of like having to be like brutally honest and just like spit truth i loved it Actually, Seth 
was having a little bit of trouble figuring out what that next step is. Um, and he wasn't the only one in the course of our campaign to try and make a new story step, pick, you know, another narrative milestone that makes sense within the story and also makes sense within whatever uh, advantage or um, level up he uh, they wanted. Uh, so I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that. We discovered pretty early on in our, our playtesting of 7C that coming up with stories can actually be really difficult. And so picking stories actually became kind of an art form and it became less about, you know, like I need to achieve this objective and more as a personal goal, I'd like to do this within the theme of the thing that I'm about to gain. And as a GM, when you're trying to help your players pick their next story step, it's always good to tell them to err on the side of general versus specific or or at least non-specific versus specific in the example of like, I've got to get my revenge on this person rather than having it be stab that person in the back or whatever. Instead, it could be like, I have to find a way to regain my honor, um, which is basically achieving the same thing, but one really lends itself to player action and the other one really puts the onus on the GM to allow the character to level up. There were definitely a couple times where I had a story step that I intended to execute in one way and then the narrative kind of shaped it so that I was like, oh, wait, due to the language I used in this story step, it actually makes sense for me to do this and that achieves my story step and has the same kind of character development and character moment happen, but in a way that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. Um, and we kind of, uh, all the players and, and you as the GM, uh, between sessions, whenever we, we like had to like update our stories, we would all work together on it. Um, for, for multiple reasons. One is it's, you know, it just helps to like have, you know, other people's ideas and input. Um, but also it was really helpful for us all to know what each person's story or what each person's current story step was, because then we could make character choices that presented the opportunity for other people to complete their stories, things like that. And you obviously as the GM have to know what everyone's story steps are. Yeah. Or else no one is leveling up. And if all else fails, a character can always drop a story if something's really not going to happen and they want the level up. Yeah. They can, you can always abandon the story <laughs> and pick up a new one. My, my cookie cutter go-to when I was, uh, when I wasn't certain of what my next story step should be, um, was to somewhere in the, uh, in the story include failure as like, my next step. That's kind of how this all happened with, with good brand. Actually, I don't remember who recommended it, but at some point they're like, well, what if you try it and it doesn't work? And then that kind of grew into, well, what if you try it and we don't know what happens and Addy gets to choose, <laughs> but like no matter what you're trying to go for, it's like step one, make progress. Step two, test it out and fail. Step three, refine. Right. And then boom, you're done. And that, that was like a go-to whenever I wasn't sure. I'd be like, well, what if I fail in a way that helps my character learn? Uh, because failure is always interesting and helps the character learn and, and, you know, can, can make for a really cool, like narrative, like curves, uh, in, in just the campaign as a whole. Um, as we, obviously saw with with <laughs> the last episode uh that that sp failure was spectacular and incredibly entertaining and uh and a lot of fun something we still talk about yeah 
So let's uh, talk about favorite parts. Tommy, what was yours? Well, mine has a little bit to do with what we've been talking about, um, which uh, was kind of uh, a thing you did as a GM, which was simply like Goodbrand physically like yanked Matteo and and Kirill uh, out of the room. Uh, and like they had very much exited the scene. You as a GM were like, and you know, you like made sure everyone like quieted down for a second and you just had, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) 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 Like I could just see this very powerful merchant prince just completely, absolutely dumbfounded and just like, what? (laughs) Uh, and it was something that like, you know, we as, as characters wouldn't have witnessed, but you, you just, you saw this moment and you wanted to make sure and you wanted to share it with the players. So you did. Uh, and it's just like that little tiny, little tiny GM touch right there that you did. That's my favorite moment. (laughs) Uh, what about you? What was your favorite moment? My favorite moment is about me too. Ah, go Addy. One of the things that I really loved about this past episode was creating Mateo's mother because uh, up until that point, based on sort of like what Mateo had said, uh, both in his character creation and just like sort of pulling things out of his backstory, like through inference, his mom seemed like kind of like, not so great a lady. What, traditional uh, traditional Vodachi royalty or something? Something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, so I really wanted to subvert specifically Sean's expectations, but also hopefully the listeners, and, and really play into, nah, she was just also a victim of circumstance with this like unequivocal love for her son. And, and I really enjoyed bringing that to life because even as it was happening, I could see like the sort of dawning on all the players' faces when they were realizing, oh, she's not this like evil lady. She's just a mom and she's kind of nice. Um, and I just really enjoyed that. And it was it was even more powerful, like him, like walking home with his tail between his legs just to find out that like his mom was just like very much concerned for his well-being was like, what can I do? How can I help? It was like, oh, oh, that hurts even more. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, But I think we have a little bit more business to attend to in town. uh, And then I guess we're exiled for a bit until we go find some stuff for his uncle. So uh, let's see how that turns out for us and move on into series seven, episode eight, words of wisdom. Enjoy. I am Bastion Corazon. I hail from the Castilian city of Odysseus, home of the duelist tournament known as the Festival of Swords. Watching swordmasters all over the world compete inspired me at a very young age to take up the blade. Once I was old enough, I joined the Explorer Society as a means to travel to Avalon and study under the masters of the Skaldas Klisa style. However, earning entry to the duelist guild was not enough for me. I have spent nearly two decades since traveling the world, testing my blade against masters and villains alike. Most recently, I have found myself aboard a pirate ship, accompanying a man I consider a brother, Goodbrand Strandbella, on his journey to Numa to uncover lost artifacts. One day I hope to truly master the way of the sword, unlock his secrets, and eventually settle down and found a duelist academy to teach a style of my own making. Until then, I will continue to travel the world and learn what I can the way I know best. 
crossing blades with skilled duelists brave enough to face me. Good friend Strandavella, and it is very good to meet you. Please don't be too alarmed from my appearance. I am a Skald Vala, a keeper of runes, a finder of lore, a protector of the legacy of Vestan Manavanyar. This may seem like a lofty title, but I promise modern Vestans appreciate far more the achievements of their fighters and their merchants. With the founder of a notable merchant's guild for a father, and a mother whose dueling skills are renowned across Thea, I have quite a bit to live up to. Nothing made this more clear than my parents' obvious adoration of Bastian. Today I call him brother, but when my mother first took him into our home for training, I admit my jealousy of his easy demeanor and obvious skill with the weapon. It was this skill that cemented us as a team, working for our respective societies. For the first time, he has taken me away from my home country, on a path that may lead me to the fabled Thirteenth Rune, and with it, the immortality of my name. Ahoy, I am Captain Kirill Tikvintimovich, strongest man in there. <laughs> you believe? <laughs> Maybe strongest. Who is to say? My past is unimportant. Now, I am captain of the iceberg. She is a very good vessel, silent as the grave, and sturdy enough to sail in dangerous waters others won't follow. Excellent for smuggling. I make certain modifications myself after I steal her from Atabian Trading Company, not Kirill's biggest fans. About two years ago, I am finding Stowaway, uh, who is nephew of Vodachi Merchant Prince, a man who hires me to smuggle relics. The boy is young, but sharp as tattoo needle. He pays Kirill well to pocket artifacts he likes uh, before they are reaching uncle, and so we are in business. However, coin is not enough. Everyone I am allowed to sailing on the iceberg has their uses. <laughs> Matteo di Caligari, at your service. You may have heard of me. Certainly my uncle is a merchant prince of Odachi, but I am constructing a legacy of my own as a renowned archaeologist for the Explorer's Society. Ever since I was a boy, I have loved to watch my uncle's smugglers deliver ancient artifacts from all over the world. As I matured, I loved even more to skim a few off the top for my own personal study. At 13, my uncle took notice of my mental, if not material, acquisitiveness and sent me to University and Lyceum in Castile, from which I graduated in a prodigious two years, making only minimal enemies in the process. After the completion of my studies, instead of returning home on Capitano Kirill's vessel, I stowed away to sail straight to the source of my desires, the occult ruins of the mysterious Sirne. By age 16, our mutually profitable arrangement brought us to Vestin Minavinyar, where the Explorer Society connected us with the duelist Bastian, the Vala Skald Gudbrand, and a lead that would change the course of our fates forever. 
Hi, everyone. Uh, I bet you weren't expecting me to be talking to you like this if you didn't listen to Words with the GM. But if you did, you would know that we had some technical difficulties with the first three to five minutes of uh, this episode. So Tommy's going to go over a little bit of what happened in those three to five minutes, and then we're going to drop you right into the episode. So enjoy. So it we didn't lose a whole lot of content. Uh, we're not sure exactly how it happened, but um, last episode ended with Goodbrand and Bastion having Goodbrand test his newly adjusted light galder on him. What what ensued was kind of a fun little. Uh, all right, try to tell me a lie. I can't tell you a lie. Try to tell me a lie. I can h- tell you're you're lying. That kind of stuff. Uh, where the the galder magic worked and Goodbrand uh, and Bastion got to. Have have a nice, loving, brotherly moment where Goodbrand, you know, uh, thanked Bastion for believing in him and Bastion, you know, uh, told Goodbrand, you know, to have confidence in himself and, you know, it, it highlighted kind of how th- those two interact uh, and then they slept on bunk beds and it was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, Kirill and Matteo made their way back to the ship. Uh, Matteo very preoccupied with the box that was given to him by his mother uh, that she had previously indicated was all she had of Matteo's mysterious father. Um, Matteo basically sat there and looked at it for a while and then basically decided he wasn't quite ready to open it. Um, and that's actually all that we lost. So we, we we're going to jump right in uh, mid-scene as uh, Goodbrand and Bastion have returned to the iceberg in the morning and uh, Goodbrand is seeking out Captain Kirill uh, in the ship's mess hall. So let's jump on into the episode proper. Here you go. Um, in the in the mess, uh, good friend uh, goes to Captain Kirill, and he. Um, uh, I apologize, Captain Kirill, for uh, interfering with your business dealings. I understand that I uh, I might owe you some money, and so here I will give you all that I have, uh, barring barring you know just a little bit to keep me going. And I, uh, I want to give him my one wealth. That is very generous of you. Please, yes, I will take this one. <laughs> <laughs> you are a truly honorable man, Captain Kirill. I appreciate your honesty with me. It was regrettable. I did not mean to hurt your feelings. I did not mean to say it at all. I, I do understand that, and uh, the, the effects of uh, brutal honesty are just as brutal as the name implies. I hope you know my opinion of you is higher. If you did that. <laughs> that was a hell of a thing. I mean, despite being terrified, it was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> especially watching Matteo. <laughs> yes, that was very good. <laughs> Anyway, I hope this covers uh, some of the expenses for this uh, uh, this trek I know you're paying out of pocket for. Yes, we will be getting by on a little less for a little while, but I am confident with this crew and this ship wizard, we will get by. Well, I appreciate that. I will knock on Mateo's uh, door. Ah, yes, uh, c- uh, come in, come in. Uh, Mateo. I, I am putting a box into a drawer. Uh, this, uh, uh, I had the translation of uh, Amboise's diary. Oh, yes, of course. I had com- it had completely slipped my mind. Yes, uh, let me have a look. 
And I, I call over for uh, for the other two to join us in Mateo's quarters so that everyone can see. Also, I do mention uh, the the Jenny uh, I was speaking to said that Amboise, who was trapped on Numa. <laughs> <laughs> However, could this have happened? That was my reaction as well. <laughs> I broke the rudder on each ship. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's even better than I had imagined. Ah, yes. So, um, I did this. Doesn't this this translation makes no sense to me? But the the woman who did it seemed incredibly astute. So I trusted is what is written there, and uh, then I defer to you, good branded Matteo, to figure out what it actually means. Pieces minus four, starting with door. Yes, uh, there is a door on the on the ledger. Is there not? On the ledger? The ledger. On the ledger. Oh, yes, there is. Yeah, every six minus three, fish stoning sky. What? Really? She said it didn't make any sense to her. Uh, is this final line here, and I explained the way she did. Uh, in, I thought maybe it was like a, another like code there um, or, or something, but it, did, it didn't. That was the closest translation she could make. Well, this is um, clearly a cipher. Uh, well, let's see what happens if we apply it to the ledger, maybe? Sure. This might be the uh, the key, the missing piece. Could be. And I uh, produced the ledger from my from my quarters. And uh, are, should we begin with the dates or should we begin with the uh, codes for the buyers? Does Matteo know where the best place to start is here? Uh, so the the cipher works um, page by page. So uh, mm. it's uh, you would work from the front to the back, mm-hmm. um, decoding one page at a time, oldest uh, first. Uh, about how long is that going to take? Pretty long at the end of the day um, because there are many entries and, and lifting the, the code out uh, takes a while, um, more than just the morning, certainly. Yes, this looks like maybe a job for while we are on the open water, or at least when we begin sailing. This, we do have a little bit of business to take care of uh, before we go. Sure. Well, what is it we need to do? Well, uh, I have a friend, um, and uh, who I think might know what. Uh, Capitano has there in that pouch those weights, those metal beads. I haven't been able to, f- to figure out what they are, but I know a guy who might. That seems worth our while. The more information we have, the more prepared we are. Agreed. Uh, if we don't know what we have, we don't know what it's useful for. And uh, if everyone is ready to go, uh, I lead the way out into the city to find my appraiser, who has a name, presumably. <laughs> So um, you lead them to the dark uh, office of uh, Lorenzo Bianchi. As always, his shop is full of eccentricities. Um, Some worth a lot of money. Some look like they're worth nothing. That's why he's an appraiser. But uh, he's he's always got wonderments to look at as you walk through his uh, small basement office. Well, I spend a little bit wondering... Time is something of the essence. That's right. Uh, Lorenzo, I must admit, uh, we're not here to browse. I need you to help me appraise something. Of course. (laughs) I'm happy to uh, appraise whatever you have for a fee. Well, of course. 
I, I actually should have some money coming in soon. I heard. Uh, yes, uh, this pouch here, uh, it contains these m- weighted metal beads. We are not exactly sure what they are or how to call them, honestly. Uh, w- um, give them over here. Are they, are they just silver, pewter? No, I would have been able to identify those. <gasps> ah. uh, is it poison? Not that I'd be afraid of that. Why would you be afraid of that? I'm not. Why would you ask if I would be afraid of it? You said that you were not afraid of it, which made me think you were. No. Anyway. (laughs) This, my dear boy, is something you should not show off. He hands it back to you. Why is this? It's pure (gasps) draconizing. We found this in, uh, uh, well, not Eisen. What? De Krutzritter would be happy to have that back, and if um, if they found out that you had it, well, there's a great reward for those who collect it from illegals. Mm. Um, could somebody fill me in? What what is this Draken Eisen? Oh, it's only the coolest metal that exists on Taya. It's the monster slaying metal. Oh. Swords and weapons and armor made from it are specifically designed to slay dragons. What? <laughs> Wait, if the existence of dragons can be proven, which as yet it cannot be. Because but they were all slain. <coughs> by dragonizing. Exactly. And you are carrying around quite a bit. You could make a sword with that. Uh, you say one now? Well, you could make a sword with it if you had a smith to whom the technique for forging it was not lost, and uh, a significant quantity of it that I am holding in my hand. Hypothetically, a sword could be made, although the Kreutzritter would be after whoever had it. Hypothetically, yes. That, my dear boy, is priceless. I uh, hand it back to Captain Kirill. Well, aren't we glad we know what you have now? If only you had more. Yes, if only. If only had more. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirill, you, you seem crestfallen. Uh, I am. <laughs> I do seem to remember you being given two of these bags. Is that not correct? It is correct. Given, I... maybe not. These were found... On the persons of two Numenari soldiers. What were they doing with solid bags of Draconison? This is a valid question. Um, Perhaps mint is more dangerous than we realized. Senor Bianchi. Yes, my dear boy. You say uh, Draconizen is only from Eisen? Is that because the mines... That's where the technique came from. Ah, so perhaps this raw uh, Draconizen could have come from somewhere that was not Eisen. I suppose, but they've tried to keep it very clamped down. You really can't get it. Decruitsritters part of their credo to bring all of that back to good old Eisen for 
safekeeping. Beyond making a weapon with this material, is there anything else you can achieve with it? I assume it's got some sort of mystical power because, well, the arcane arts are uh, perfect for slaying dragons, don't you think? I see. Perhaps, in a way, they are already a weapon of some kind. It's spoken of often in legend. Uh, I don't know of any mentions in Numa legend, but... Well, obviously, we are going to have to return this to the Deke Roots Ritter, uh, as it would be completely inadvisable for us to carry it around town. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for of your appraiser, yes. appraisal, Signor Bianchi. A pleasure. Yes, thank you, of course. Uh, I will send you the money soon. See that you do, dear boy. It was a pleasure to meet. Uh, and as soon as we are outside and probably halfway down the street from uh, that shop, I say, of course I was lying in there. Yes, we- obviously. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I just, um, what do you guys want to do with it? <laughs> do we have need of slaying any monsters? I mean, you could come up. I see. I mean, I'm just saying if I just, if, it sounds like something I would enjoy, but it, I did not. I just, I, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> uh, Capitano Kiro, uh, Bastian, maybe something can be arranged uh, in terms of uh, Bastian pitching in to help to fund our next expedition? Um, I have a proposal for you, uh, Capitan. I am listening. Obviously, uh, this, this material is, is, as the appraiser said, uh, priceless. So whatever I would offer you would be a paltry sum uh, compared to the true value of the, wep- uh, of the material. However, to have me by your side wielding a blade made of draconison could be of great use for you. So there is some there uh, on top of that. You may remember that when I joined, uh, when I set foot aboard your ship and we began this expedition, I had but one caveat, and that was when the time of the Festival of Swords in Odyssea in Castile uh, came, I would be in Castile. I have not forgotten. Right. Well, you may remember that that date is coming very soon. This I have forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, if I am correct, when we leave Odachi uh, today... Uh, we may need to head straight towards Castile to make it for the first day of the festival. Eh, this is good as place as any. There are plenty of merchants to supply cargo to our empty ship as well. Uh, not just merchants, but also uh, the best swordsmiths from all over the world come to the festival to show off their skills and to make custom swords for the people who attend the festival. It is possible that maybe one of the, one of the Eisen sword makers there will know the secrets of the Draconizen and could make us a sword. I have no need for swords, but if you prove your usefulness to me, you may use the Draconizen and work off the costs for some time. Well, in the interest of working off some of the costs at the beginning, I would be happy to pay you the victor's purse of the Festival of Swords. <laughs> in exchange for one Draconizen sword. Uh, this could... This, um, it, it, is, it is start. Yes, this is... Uh, <laughs> I must say, if there is someone I would bet on in the Festival of Swords, it would be Bastian. Oh, he is the only one to bet on. Have you seen him work with the sword? You've not seen even a fraction. I've usually been off doing something else. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, this he... seems possibly agreeable. Of course, I have to win the festival first. But if there's anything that will motivate me to finally take the first place in the festival, it will be the reward of a dragon eisen sword, a sword of legend. This is part two of my dream. <laughs> my life dream. <laughs> oh, I am not one to deny life dreams. And it is with your help that we've come upon this anyway. Yes. I see, yes. I, uh, I reach out my hand to shake Capitan Kirill's hand. I place the pouch of Draconison in it. That is... Uh, my eyes... I hold it in my hand. <laughs> and I feel the weight of it. And I was... Uh, Thank you very much, Capitan. And I put it in my bag. And I try very hard to not suddenly look like I am not 38 years old, but in fact 12 years old, and very excited to be a dragon slayer. <laughs> Do not disappoint. I will not, Capitan. I, uh, I will not, Capitan. <laughs> also cast us off. Uh, aye, aye, Capitan. And I do so with extra gusto. Uh, do I know when and how my mother is going to get that loan to me? She told you to send her a letter with your next port of call. Write oh, your mother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm going to write my mother. You think I don't feel guilty as sin right now? Also, you know, I love her and stuff. There you go. <laughs> uh, before everyone can tuck in for the night or even midday snack, um, you have to make it down the river uh, past the Bernoullis again. Well, you still be fine, right? I presume as much. They never bother people going out. <laughs> it should not be a problem at all. Should Matteo be hiding? Me? Why? Well, if the word has been sent that you, perhaps they will not be able to recognize the Capitan, but you, you are the son of a merchant prince. They might actually know your face. Oh, that they are looking for me? I do not know. The Jennies had already gotten word that Amboise was stranded. Perhaps the Bernoullis have gotten that as well, and with extra detail as to who to blame. But why would they blame me? Because Amboise would blame you. Yes, that's very smart. Uh, I will be secluded in my quarters anyway. I have ciphering to do. Or should I say, deciphering. I should. That would be more accurate and more clear. <laughs> very well. We will call you up to the deck when we are clear. If you wish to come. Yes, I, I, hopefully I should have some findings by then. Is there any cargo we need to hide from them? Uh, we are sailing empty at the moment. I make sure to put the dragon hide on my or the dragon eyes on my person. How heavy is it? Will it fit under my hat? It will not fit under your hat. <laughs> it will shift. Uh, it is uh, heavier than a similar bag of ball bearings. All right. Uh, yes, I will make sure I have my pack where it is hidden underneath some dirty laundry. Like you're carrying on your person? <laughs> Just a couple of things. <laughs> I was about to wash them above deck when we went through the checkpoint. That's going to be my story anyways. Okay. You don't want to smell them. <laughs> we will not sail uh, Caligari's flag, I think. We will go back to our own colors and just try to avoid too much notice. Uh, so you come out of the Delta um, and... Uh, of course, uh, the island of and city of Potenza uh, greet you um, at the mouth, and uh, and uh, you can see this sort of built-out city um, extended out onto the ocean from from a distance. Um, the uh, checkpoint 
going into the river mouth, of course, is a lot easier to police because people have to hook up to um, the poles. Going out, it's a little bit different, but soon you do see uh, a ship flying Bernoulli colors um, coming toward you. Uh, We will continue on present course. They are probably faster, so they will approach when they are ready. Then I am on deck, uh, wealth in hand, prepared to bribe. Sure. Uh, I think we'll enter a dramatic scene. So what are your approaches? Um, Well, I am going to be wearing uh, just the simplest of clothes. Uh, While I am on the aft of the ship uh, uh, with a bucket, and I will be doing laundry. Uh, I will have my sword, you know, casually uh, against the banister nearby me in case I need it. Uh, but this is all just a show. I am pretending to do laundry for as long as it takes so that uh, hopefully I am not accosted. And if I am accosted, they don't go rummaging through my dirty laundry. Sure. So you're you're going to laundry casual. I'm going to laundry casual as I am sitting on priceless Draconizen. <laughs> I think that will be uh, resolve and perform. Um, so your personal risks is that you're found out. Uh, so that will you'll need um, two to accomplish that. Capitan? Uh, yes, I am on deck, uh, visibly counting coins, uh, ready for run-of-the-mill bribery operation. It happens all the time in Vodachi waters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, so that that's panache. And... Yeah, make case for run-of-the-mill sailing operation. Pretty much entire discussion is by script at this point. Uh, the customs officer comes over, says, oh, where is your destination? Anything to declare? Uh, pirate or smuggler says, uh, declare this and hands over coin. And everyone is on their way and everyone is a little happier for the experience. Yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. Uh, I think I, with, along with uh, our news. um cabin boy and girl, Lockham and Greb, I have disguised myself cleverly as an Avalonian um, <laughs> with a hat, and I shave my mustache, which, you know, there wasn't much of it, but it was there. <laughs> so uh, you keep telling us. And I am, I am swabbing the deck, and I think, possibly, I am putting myself in harm's way in pursuit of knowledge, uh, because I wish to spy on... Uh, whatever the Bernoullis are coming to uh, talk to us about. Sure. So that is panache and hide. Um, you'll need to spend two raises to not be found out, personally. Gutbrand? Gutbrand's first instinct is to um, do the same thing that he did with uh, uh, Mateo's uncle and play the um, crazy, uh, you know, mystic guy who uh, was just in the background doing crazy things to uh, make uh, the captain seem more impressive as though he has this person protecting him and immediately nixes that uh, considering how it went the last time and (laughs) instead um, just takes off his uh, cloak probably for the first time anybody has seen uh, he um, either if he has time he runs down to his quarters or he tucks it behind some barrels whichever is more narratively making sense and he uh, um, sits 
next to the captain. I imagine the the captain is standing at a table and he is sitting next to him with the the ledger open in front of him as though he's doing the books, but also within reach is the bow and arrow. Um, so it's still intimidating. He could shoot you at any point, but he's really just there to like, oh, I am, I am the second in command sort of thing. <laughs> sure. So that is panache and intimidate. You're mean mugging them, right? Yes. Okay. You're going to have to toe the line uh, with your mean mugging. Uh, you're going to have to spend uh, two raises to get the level of mean on your mugging right. <laughs> so uh, something fishy is happening, and it is very obvious. This is an unusual stop. Uh, so one of the consequences is the 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 jig is up when um, if you aren't able to spend six raises... Um, to sail casual. Also, um, there are one, more. There's more than one way to catch a pirate. If you're not careful, they may mistake someone else for one of you, uh, and that's an additional three raises. Legal kidnapping works like a charm. Avoid detainment. Time for hero points. Uh, funny you should say that, as um, the brains of the outfit. Uh, I'm going to spend um, four hero points. <laughs> Let's say um, two to Goodbrand and two to uh, um, Captain Kirill uh, for eight bonus dice each. Uh, basically, on the way in, before this happened, I was expecting a much worse uh, ride in, and I briefed them on the whole Bernoulli procedure and, like, yeah, Kirill's never had a problem, but um, I was like, yes, but you've always been protected, and th- th- in this case, they might get ruthless. And here's what they're going to do, and uh, and here's like the best. Here are the best ways to appease them, which is why I'm up here in the first place. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I might just swab the deck behind them and offer some casual advice. <laughs> so uh, eight bonus dice for both of you. Okay, let's roll. Mateo, you were so generous earlier. Let's uh, hear what you have first. Two raises. <laughs> Bastian? I have three raises. Uh, Gutbrand? Gutbrand has seven raises. Uh, eight raises, one remainder. <laughs> okay. Kirill, you have the initiative. Uh, are, they, are they alongside us, or what is uh, positions? Uh, yeah, they've just um, thrown hooks. Okay. I will walk to the side of ship and help them uh, to secure these hooks um, very politely. I will uh, give people hands up. Uh, so they can more easily board ship. Uh, just be overly polite and helpful to these, to these uh, dirty, dirty vodachis. <laughs> I will spend uh, three raises to a... Uh, no need to raise an alarm. Okay. Uh, good friend. Good friend is going to... Um it's going to watch the captain as he assists people onto his ship. And he's going to kind of like scoff as though uh, only a weak captain would do something like that. And uh, this is going to go toward uh, 
don't go too mean. It's the beginning of like seeming mean, but then uh, there's a second part to it too, which we haven't revealed. (laughs) (laughs) Is that two or one you're putting towards it? Just one. Okay. Uh, Gutbrand, you have the initiative again. Is there, okay, is there somebody um, who's coming on this ship who perhaps has a trinket of distinction, an accessory that they might be very proud of? Sure. There's everything from a guy with a hat and a plume to uh, to a guy with a um, medallion necklace or, or, or um, a very nice bracelet. Or a cravat. There's definitely a guy with a cravat. There is a gentleman with a, a cravat, and it's very obvious he's proud of it because he is wearing it uh, pinned around his neck with no shirt covering it. And um, I... The, this is one of the you know second or third people that the captain has helped onto his ship, and uh, so Goodbrand is going to um, walk up to him and spend a hero point and uh, point at this gentleman's cravat, and he is going to say, "Give me that, please." Okay. Staring deep into his eyes, and um, by doing a strange action like this, I'm going to spend two. Uh, Raises toward mistaken identity. Uh, what's the hero point for? Uh, that is for inspiring generosity. He is going to give me that cravat. <laughs> <laughs> How many raises is that? I'm sorry. Um, two towards mistaken identity. <laughs> now this is the power play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he goes, oh, uh, he- uh, yes, of course, of course, of course. Uh, uh, my, my pleasure. Yes, that is what I thought. Thank you very much. And I put the ton around my neck in front of him, and I pin it to my shirt. Okay. And I back away from him, still staring into his eyes. And it's the, it's as though I have hypnotized him with my light uh, vest and eyes. <laughs> He's definitely not looking away from you. And uh, I'm standing behind the captain now and letting, uh, allowing him to uh, actually greet uh, the, who is this person? Not the guy with the clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, distractedly like rubbing across like his Adam's apple as he's like missing his cravat. He's very sad. <laughs> captain. Uh, I will. Uh, I will invite men with clipboard uh, or women with clipboard uh, to sit, um, being very inviting, talking small talk about weather. Uh, and again, I will position Kirill's considerable bulk uh, between the eyes of these guests and uh, my two decently disguised uh, companions uh, to give opportunity to each of them. To help with uh, remaining hidden. Yeah, uh, you both sit down at the table. She puts her clipboard down, takes out her inkwell and her pen, and uh, you just like <laughs> sit across from her. And everything she was gonna try and look at with just sitting, mm-mm, no way. <laughs> uh, she her her eyeline is definitely taken up by your your bulk. Good friend. Uh, Gutbrand also sits down at the table to the captain's left, still behind him, but um, in direct eye line as well. And he's more kind of peeking over the shoulder because uh, the Captain Kirill clearly has this handled, but uh, Gutbrand wants to remain 
present and visible. And by drawing that attention, everybody uh, who is also watching this is like, this is clearly supposed to only be two people at the table. What is he doing? (laughs) (laughs) Why is he just sitting there? And that's uh, one more toward mistaken identity. (laughs) Yes, good friend. For just a moment, all eyes were on the table and the negotiations about to take place and the checklist and the inkwell and the very, very nice quill. And then you just hover like a creeper (laughs) with your brand new cravat, which no one is really sure how you got. And, uh, And you just are like half painted black like head with black and then the, the rest is very pale Vestin. it's never really taken to the sun and then you're just you're just there hanging out with your red cravat and painted skull distracting like crazy kirill uh gutbrand and bastian you are all at three uh yeah i will go ahead and um i spend i will spend one race to take advantage of the opportunity that the Capitan made for me, uh, I will kind of shift myself uh, down a little ways to make sure I am I am definitely uh, blocked by him uh, and uh, continue to wash my clothes casually. Uh, with me spending one race to take this opportunity, does it count as two raises towards my uh, remain unseen? Yes. That is what I do. I, uh, I wring out some uh, some underwear and lay it over the banister and step over to the side to start... Washing a shirt. <laughs> um, yes, I talk to uh, to this woman with the clipboard. I ask normal things. Uh, how has the weather been? Uh, you know, do you see any fun cargo lately? Uh, anybody trying to sneak anything fun past, uh, past your uh, noses? Um, and I uh, surreptitiously slide a bag of coin across table. I believe going rate is one wealth, but of course you'd never say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, two uh, two raises towards uh, delaying alarm or preventing alarm. Uh, and she asks you, uh, and what's your destination? Uh, we are headed to the festivals in Castile. And do you have anything to declare? She places her clipboard over the bag of money. <laughs> uh, just what a wonderful time we have had in Bodachi. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to hear that you've had a wonderful time. We hope to see you in Bernoulli Waters again. Gutbrand. Um, as this is happening, as soon as uh, the money transaction has happened, Gutbrand uh, starts to make a slow spiral from around the table. <laughs> um just kind of walking, uh, not lazily. It almost seems as though it is with purpose, but uh, he's taking his a sweet time getting to it. And eventually he um, sidles back up to the same sailor from whom he took the cravat, <laughs> casually leaning against the railing next to him. Uh, and then uh, he unpins the cravat from himself and uh, drapes it uh, from the side uh, just around his shoulders and gently, daintily ties it in the very front underneath his chin and pins it back on his chest, looks into his eyes, gives him a small nod, and walks away. (laughs) He's a genius. He's a genius. I love what he did with the end of the plan. Uh, And that is one raise towards don't be too mean and... I believe that just knocked that off of my plate. <laughs> uh, everyone is at two. 
Matteo has a, a bit more to this plan. Uh, these uh, inspectors, they come with an entourage, maybe, yes? Yes. Okay. Um, so I see them uh, over there on, on one side of the ship, kind of in a corner, uh, whispering to each other. So I make my way, swabbing the deck, or appearing to swab the deck, based on what I have seen people who swab the deck look like. <laughs> um, I make the, the path of my deck swabbing uh, toward them, in order to create an opportunity to push them toward Bastian with their murmurings. So I'm going to create an opportunity for Bastian to um, overhear something, maybe. And I would also like to spend my second race to take advantage of the opportunity um, Captain Kirill gave to disguise successfully, as uh, I keep my head down as I pass them by and say, just passing through <laughs> in a terrible Avalonian accent. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you, you do just that, Bastian and Guprand. Um, well, as I see these uh, these two, three, then, how many? Three. Uh, avoiding the uh, just flat out wide swings of the of the mop from uh <laughs> from this matteo is it, this is what it looks like it's almost it's almost comical in the way that he is he is uh, slashing at the deck with this with this mop uh but they do uh, move away from the splashing and uh come my way and i decide i'm going to take advantage of this opportunity uh and i will finish wringing out my shirt uh and i will move a little further along the banister uh, to start working on some uh, leg warmers that I have from uh, my time up in Veston. Uh, and I will spend the race uh, to take advantage of this opportunity and listen into what they are saying. I do not think this is uh, the ship that uh, we have been looking for. It is not even flying the, the Caligari colors. Oh, I think it must be. It must be. This is the only ship come down today for, down from Lake Rosa. It is a it is a holy day. Why would they be traveling? Well, we shall see. And if it is, they will get there too. That's what you hear. Good friend. Good friend. Um, uh, the captain is conversing with the person doing this assessment. Yes. Um, I make my way back to the captain's side. I put my hand on his shoulder and uh, lean in next to his ear, and I say, Captain. If it's all possible, have we checked all of our boxes? Are we finished? We will be late for our delivery if we do not leave now. Oh, yes, it slipped my mind. Thank you, uh, good brand. Ma'am, we really must be going. If you do not mind, is there anything uh, else you need from us? Uh, she picks up her uh, pouch o coins and uh, says, uh, No, I think I've had a very thorough inspection. Um, thank you so much for your time. We hope to see you again soon here in Vodachi. You are welcome, and you will. <laughs> Obviously off kilter a little bit, uh, and uh, retreats back to her own ship. That was, uh, that was a race to finish, to finish what's happening before an alarm goes up. And uh, as the, so the sailor that I, that I have been harassing for the past 15 minutes starts to get off, I look into his eyes, I grab his brooch, and I say... Do not lose this. <laughs> it may come in handy someday in the future. <laughs> Do not lose this. <laughs> I can't believe I have my own sea witch giving curses. <laughs> That's how you'll know you've made it. 
you thoroughly wig him out. <laughs> He's wigged. All right, uh, Bastian and and uh, Captain, you've uh, got one each. The the woman uh, who the Capitan has been talking to is she an impressive woman? She seems she is a captain of a ship. I assume. Uh, she is the. She's not the captain of their ship. She is um, an official of 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 the like uh, Potenza. All right. The, and is she in somewhat military garb. A little bit, yeah. All right. Uh, I will try to create an opportunity for the Capitan. Um, uh, as she is uh, getting ready to go, I am going to cross in front of her path, uh, dripping soapy water in front of her. <laughs> Uh, and create an opportunity for the Capitan to uh, uh, suavely stop her from falling when she slips on my soapy water and perhaps make an impression on her should we ever cross paths with these sheep again. Yeah, you absolutely do that. Uh, And I wink at the Capitan when I do so. I will take advantage. I see why uh, Bastion is getting so close when he is in such strange disguise. (laughs) Yes, I... In one giant leap uh, over to to a woman, I I uh, put hand out so that she can catch her footing just in time as she maybe begins to slide, uh, and very helpfully uh, get her the fuck off my boat. <laughs> uh, she notes your chivalry as uh, she almost fell in between the boats. Really, oh, that would be dangerous. Yes, uh, and. Yeah, so um, you guys have completed your scene. They sh- they sail away, and uh, you are free to move about the cabin. <laughs> I walk over to Goodbrand. I stick out my hand, and I I shake his hand, and I'm like, Goodbrand, that was masterful. <laughs> I, I I have never seen such a performance in all my life. It it was executed to perfection. It it was. Peerless. It was beautiful. I I almost cried watching it. The, the the touch at the end with the with the Vestin curse. Oh, mm, mm. I see the future and it is bright. And you are a star, my friend. <laughs> I uh, I have a lot to make up for. Uh, but all a scald really wants is for stories to be told about him, so hopefully just maybe one or two might make it out from that man. <laughs> I do think it will keep unnecessary people off of this boat for quite some time. <laughs> I, I go over to Gubran, and I look him up and down, and I say, you look weird without your cloak. Oh my, I completely forgot I took off my cloak. I feel so weird. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not weird. What a ridiculous (laughs) assumption. And he immediately runs to fetch it and uh, puts it on and somehow like a security blanket, he hunches over a little bit more and he's no longer like proud with his chest sticking out. He's back to uh, old, tall, but hunchy good Brent. Uh, Towards uh, Castile, yeah? Uh, if we are lucky and the wind holds up, we should make it in time for the Festival of Source. Yes, we are on the way. Uh, Matteo will retreat to his uh, quarters and return to deciphering uh, this ledger. So the front of this ledger that you've started um, deciphering uh, has things that are from your school times, actually. Um, small things like... Um, exam notes or um, other things for small amounts of money. 
there's a listing to a boy you knew in school who um, bought a um, alchemical preparation from Amboise. Um, just little things uh, you haven't gotten out of uh, the school years yet. Uh, it is slow going for sure. And I push the ledger aside and I push the cipher to the other side and I get a piece of paper and I compose a letter to my mother <laughs> in which I update her on how things are going in my life and tell her how much she means to me. Okay. <laughs> you do. You write a letter to your mom. It feels nice. It does. It does. I like it. As I finish the letter uh, and, and I sign off on it, um, I, uh, I open the drawer that uh, contains my sealing wax and I see the red box, the, the red wooden box. And uh, I put the letter aside then and I pull out the box and I open it. Uh, great. Uh, inside is um, a dark green cushion and lining um, upon which sits two pins. What, what kind of pins? Um, the first one you see pretty much every day. <laughs> ah. It is a, it's a, a duelist guild's pin. I did not know my father was a duelist. And the second one you haven't seen. It's um, unfamiliar to you. It's, it has some Castilian on it. Some Castilian? I, I can read Castilian if it says... It says La Espada de Castile, which you know is the Sword of Castile. Um, in Old Dan. The Sword of Castile, but <laughs> he was Ashurite. What this? You know who would know about this? <laughs> Let me go and find uh, Bastian. Uh, where might I find him? I'm probably actually in my quarters. Uh, I am getting ready. I'm uh, putting on my full uh, dueling attire uh, because I am about to go and make a request of the Capitan. Uh, but for the moment, I am in my quarters. Oh, well, I, that's where I go first. I knock on your door. Um, hello? Yes? Uh, it's, it's me. Can I come in? Of course. Um, uh, I do. I walk in, uh, and I'm looking at two pins, as, as I am. And I say, oh, uh, you are looking dashing. I am uh, I'm buckling down one of my boots, and I, uh, I look up, and I go, uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to train a little bit if the captain permits. Um, well, how can I be of service? Uh, yeah, as you're talking to me, I'm kind of holding up the duelist pin that I have in my hand up to your lapel and, um, and like, matching it. Uh, the design, of course, is a little different, but the, um, the meaning is the same. Yeah, I step back and I, I look to see what he is doing, and I see he's holding it. Where did you get that? Oh, well... Before I left uh, Vodachi, my mother, I visited my mother, and she gave me a, a box with two of my father's most prized possessions in. Uh, one was this duelist pin, and I, I never knew my father was a duelist, but one, this is the strangest thing. My father, he was from the Crescent Empire, an Asherite, but he had in, in this box with him uh, a pin that says uh, La Spada de Castile, the Sword of Castile. Why would he have this? 
I don't respond immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I raise my eyebrows and I take the pin. But I, ju- I take it with, re- with absolute respect. I take it. <laughs> I don't just snatch it. Yes. And then I, I, I look at it and I, I try to like verify its authenticity. As far as you've ever seen, this looks as real as the next. And I very gingerly hand it back to you. And I go, do you do not know what this means? No, it is obviously of some significance. <laughs> some significance? It's, it's strange you bring this into my room now of all times that we've been together. Uh, this, this is the pin that is awarded to the man or woman who wins the Festival de las Espadas. The whole thing? The whole thing. Uh, on day four, the best duelists of all the previous days are put together in a tournament and they and they they duel each other in a standard tournament and the winner of that tournament the winner of the best fighters in all of the world gets that pin my father was the best fighter in the world at least for one year yes excuse me while i jump into the sea what no wait what <laughs> <laughs> i grab him <laughs> i go what are you talking about this is this is something uh, tremendous uh, achievement that your father has achieved. How can I... Bastian, I, I must be truthful f- with you for just one moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will allow it. <laughs> I put forth this, uh, this very clear facade of uh, c- uh, competence and uh, confidence and uh, understanding. But I, I must admit... There is no way on earth I could ever live up to my father being the best fighter in the world. I, I am, look confused at this. I am bound to be a disappointment to him. I, I cannot fight. I, I know how to swing a sword. I have studied fencing. But <laughs> if I were to, to fight you, for example, I would not last one second. I actually laugh at that <laughs> as I finish cinching my sword to my waist. Uh, and I go, you sound like good brand. Let me let me tell you something. I I went to Vestin uh, three years ago, well, a little more than that now, uh, and I lived there with Goodbrand and his family for some time. Uh, you may remember his mother is a very accomplished uh, duelist. In fact, she is going to be uh, in charge of the ceremony of the festival this year. Yes, I saw you exchange a look with her. <laughs> I do not comment on that. <laughs> uh, when I met Goodbrand at first, he felt much as you do now. Uh, that he would never live up to his parents. He would never be able to achieve the same things they do. Uh, and he was so blind to the fact that he uh, was not as good as they were at what they were good at, that he failed to see what he was good at. And it took some time for me to get through to him. But uh, in, in doing so, I think I have learned how to communicate this best to you. The people in Vestin, they have this, this idea. Uh, it is called uh, a veard. Oh, of course. I know all about it. Yes, you know, it is, it is, uh, it is your, your fate, your path. It is, a, it is a comforting idea that each one of us has a path that we are meant to walk. And as long as we walk along that path, while the path may not be straight, while the path may wind in different ways and be difficult, if we stay to the path, we will find glory in our own way. And if we ever stray from the path, then we will only be met with disappointment and possibly worse. It is an idea that I like, I admire. The idea that each one of us is meant to do something. And the best part about the Veard is when you, when you find the path, you know it, you feel it. 
you know what you are supposed to do. And as long as you do not let your doubts cloud that vision, then you will always be able to follow the path and be someone who anyone with half a brain, which, by the way, you, to win the Festival de las Espanas, you need more than half a brain, uh, can be proud of. Bastian, I thank you for this advice. You're right. I know my path. I know what I must do. We are going to the Festival de las Espanas in Castile, the tournament that my father once won Yes, some years ago. I must find him there and learn what I can from him. I must erase the story I have <laughs> right now <laughs> and replace it with a new one. <laughs> I know what must be done. Uh, thank you, Bastian. I, also, I need to decipher the rest of that and send that letter. There's a lot on my to-do list. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I scurry out. Goodbye, I say as I am putting on my gloves. <laughs> I almost called him dad. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Uh, and then I will, of course, uh, the captain. Bastion, yes, what can I do for? Uh, I, I have a, a request of you. Uh, given our previous arrangement, my, uh, my hopes to uh, win the Festival de las Espadas, uh, there's, a, there's an asterisk to that statement I just said, and I need to tell you about it later. But for now, I want to be focused. Interesting. <laughs> um, I would like to uh, borrow any of your crew uh, who are capable fighters uh, to uh, test my skills against them. I want to to uh, warm up a little bit on the way, uh, and if it is possible, uh, uh, I have been adapting my duelist style to fight more than one opponent at a time, and, and if I could uh, collect whatever capable fighters you have, I would love to see what they were able to achieve against me. This could be a fun way to pass the time. Uh, I warn you, though, a couple of the better ones are pirates. They fight dirty. That's... Excellent. I, I, uh, I need to be able to adapt. Perhaps after um, the meal tonight, I will offer a prize to anyone who can best you. That sounds great. And I, I await my, uh, to see whoever is willing to fight me. Yes, uh, Daria is boxer. Uh, you've trained with her before. Lyran, first mate, uh, fights with daggers. Uh, and Sophie, the uh, Aragostan pirate, she fights very dirty with her cutlass. Others are more brute squad level of uh, fighting. Brenna's getting there. So uh, there's a little while until dinner. Um, Gudbrand and uh, the captain, what are you getting up to? Um, Gudbrand has uh, felt he has gone a little bit off the rails, and so he felt, has felt very uncomfortable without his cloak. He spent a, a good you know, half an hour to an hour uh, without it. He's going to Stay in his room. He's got books he needs to read. He's got things he needs to study. Sure. Uh, Kirill is spitting every colorful Asuran curse he knows uh, into the sea. Uh, for he left very valuable, apparently, or behind, for a coin that was lucky that he gave away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the violence this evening will cheer him up. A small rain breaks out uh, as... Uh, more than a few uh, are happy to have the excuse to fight. There aren't any blunted weapons, though, on board, except for a couple of, like, sticks and stuff. Oh, no, they can bring their full weapons. It will, I will be fine. Okay. They, they um, jovially, jovially ask you who would you like to face first. Is there... Why would you all 
Just try at the same time. We can make this quick. No need to stretch it out through the night. One at a time, that's boring. How many of them are there? Uh, three. Yeah. He is asking for it. Anyone who can land a good hit on uh, Bastion does not have to keep watch at all this week. Ho, ho. We do it till first blood. Sure. Uh, so Liren brings out his daggers. Daria puts up her fists. And uh, Sophie drags out her cutlass. Matteo comes up to watch against his custom. So I, I assume you'd like to roll finesse and weaponry? I am brandishing my rapier. I am in my traditional duelist stance. I will spend two hero points for uh, Daria and for Sophie. Okay. Matteo, is that you? Oh, yes. I decided to come up and watch the show. Come sit by Kirill. Have some rum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this drink is very sweet. I mean, it, it burns a little, but it has a, like a flavor to it. <laughs> it is like ocean wine. <laughs> um, what did you roll? I have eight raises. Uh, you have the initiative. Okay, excellent. So I will, I will uh, begin to circle around them uh, as they start to spread out to get all around me. Uh, and as they are getting into position so they can attack me from three different angles... Uh, I will kind of gently tap my sword in each of their directions and go, Ini, Mini, Mini, Mo. And uh, uh, I will point at um, I will point at the one with the daggers. Liren. And, uh, and I, will, uh, I will dash towards him. And I will uh, immediately spend a hero point to use my flawless execution ability to do a uh, maneuver without spending any of my raises. And I will start with a feint. And then I will spend my first raise uh, to slash him. Uh, and because I feinted, that was one wound. And then the slash uh, follows it up with uh, five more wounds because the feint makes the slash more powerful. So in all in told, I have dealt six wounds to him. Okay. Uh, you still have the initiative. Oh, perfect. Presumably, as I have uh, run towards him and, and I moved my blade uh, upwards in a feint so that he would draw down one of his daggers to parry and then uh, kind of swing the sword around my hand and catch it again to stab at his shoulder instead, uh, where he has just dropped his arm down. Uh, then he stumbles back. The other two, who I have not attacked, I assume are approaching me from behind quickly yes. to close the ground. Uh, and to put myself in a more advantageous position... I will use my Salmon Leap ability, and I will do a front flip over Liren, uh, dealing three more wounds to him uh, uh, with my Salmon Leap ability, and I will land behind him, putting him between myself and the other two duelists. Okay. And that is another race spent. Uh, you still have the initiative, and with your Salmon Leap, uh, was able to draw blood uh, across um, Liren's uh, cheek, and he is out of the match. Uh, and I will uh, uh, step around him as he presumably gets out of the way uh, with Daria and the dirty fighter, whose name I forget. Sophie. Uh, with Daria and Sophie rushing towards me, uh, I am going to sidestep around, putting, trying to put Daria in between myself and Sophie. Uh, and I will uh, apply pressure to Sophie 
uh, that she is going to want to uh, hurt me, she is going to first have to take out Daria because I am uh, using my footwork to put Daria just in the way in every regard. And I will apply pressure to Sophie. Okay. And that's another raise? Yes. You still have the initiative. I will then use flawless execution to slash Sophie or to slash Daria for four wounds. Okay. And spend another raise as I circle around as quickly as possible as they are stumbling over each other. Uh, I will put pressure on Daria to have to take out Sophie if she wants to get to me. These are pirates after all. Perhaps it is best to fight one on one so they are not in each other's way. And they both have pressure applied to them now that if they are wanting to attack me, they have to spend two races to do so. So you're at four, right? Yes. Okay. So Daria is the opposition. So the first thing that she's going to do is uh, repost. That would make sense. Uh, and do three wounds to you. Okay. So uh, it is your turn again. Good friend just hears the, uh, the clanging and the banging around, the fight going on, the crew cheering, and he comes out to watch. She stands in the corner. Uh, so as uh, Daria uh, shoves Sophia out of the way to uh, 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 avoid my, my slash maneuver, um, and then she bowls over towards me and uh, gets a good hit to my gut, I will actually uh, kind of jump back with the hit. So I, I roll with the, with the blow, uh, and I will repost against her uh, to deal four wounds. Uh, uh, and, uh, the repost is, uh, more or less, uh, kind of a, uh, as I am jumping back with the punch, so I kind of soak it, I will kind of spin my body, uh, in like a corkscrew fashion, uh, to, uh, move my feet as quickly as possible, uh, at an angle so I can, uh, slash above my head, uh, towards her leg. Sure. Um, uh, Sophie gets to, uh go now, having been shoved out of the way, uh, a little annoyed at that. She um, gets her cutlass at the ready and um, uh, presses back against uh, Daria and um, uh, slashes uh, right at your middle, uh, giving you five wounds. Oh, all right. And it is my turn? Uh, It is your turn. I am going to parry that damage (laughs) uh, and uh, reduce it by four. Mm Mm-hmm. That will be a raise spent. Uh, so I am now at two raises. Daria is also at two raises. So uh, she will... Um, so she uh, parries. And she is now sitting at two wounds. Okay. So as I get my footing and, uh, and just barely parry the wild slash from Sophie, I realized that uh, I did not catch uh, Daria's leg like I wanted to. She managed to get her arm guard uh, down to catch it. Yeah, some of it. Uh, you did get a, a, a nice little, like, hit against her greaves. You have the initiative. Uh, because uh, Sophie can fight from slightly further range than uh, Daria, uh, when she gets close, I am going to clock her in the face uh, with uh, uh, the um, arm guard of my sword. Less to really harm her and more to disorient her, mm-hmm. as I do a bash maneuver, uh, which deals one wound. And we will prevent the next amount of wounds that she deals equal to my weaponry, which is four. So she deals four less wounds next turn. And this is Daria? Daria. Uh, So you are at one? Yes. Okay. So all of you are at one now. So uh, Daria, with her fists up, like fakes you out and trying to punch you and and will faint. (laughs) And um, as you're sort of like instinctively like 
duck uh, from because you're not a you're not a brawler. So it's it's one of those things that will catch you. Yes. Um, Sophie, uh, seeing her opening, uh, will in fact lunge, dealing five wounds and getting you just with the tip of her blade at the very end of her lunge. She is dirty. Yeah. Uh, I step back, continuing, uh, uh, thinking I'm about to continue to fight. Uh, and then, uh, I ray, uh, I'm about to like move in for another maneuver. And then I see the moon glint off of, uh, her blade and I see the red and I stop and I see that, uh, I, I look down and I see that, uh, she has, she has managed to just slightly cut, uh, just a nick, just my stomach. And I, I touch it and I feel the blood on my fingers and, uh, uh, I lower my sword and bring it up for a salute, and then I bow. And uh, you've definitely provided a, a world of entertainment in a few moments of this of this fight. And uh, everybody is, like, cheering, and, and Sophie's like, yeah, no watch! <laughs> <laughs> um, and everybody's really excited. And then a loud rip of thunder uh, comes off in the distance. <laughs> And the entire ship shakes as it wasn't thunder, but a cannon. Mm. And that's where we'll end the session. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by John Wick Presents. 7C is a trademark of John Wick Presents. For more information, go to www.johnwickpresents.com.